1: I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction. Today I'm speaking with Gwen Katz about her debut novel, Among the Red Stars. Although the book is listed as YA, I'd like to emphasize right off that it will certainly appeal to adults as well. By the time you reach the end of the interview, you will understand why. Participation of women in combat became a hot topic in connection with the 21st century wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but it is generally less well known that even in World War II, Some women perform more than supporting roles. Most notably, the Soviet Union formed three all-female units of fighter pilots and bombardiers, some of whom flew nightly missions against the Nazi invaders. Among the Red Stars tells the story of these women, who inflicted so much damage that the enemy began to refer to them as the Night Witches. The eye in the excerpt that follows is the heroine, Valentina Sergeyevna Karolyova, known to friends and family as Valka. The voice on the radio spat out a few intelligible words before melting back into static. Large crowd here in the City of Youth, despite the gloomy weather, they are all hoping to catch the first glimpse of... You're messing it up, I told Pasha, who knelt by his radio, fiddling with its wire innards. We'll miss it. It'll be in the papers tomorrow. I gave Pasha a derisive snort. I want to be able to say I was listening when the Rodin landed. What good is it if i see it in the paper like everyone else when do i find out what we're listening to asked my cousin iskra leaning over from the chair next to me everyone thought slight dark-eyed pasha and i were related even though we weren't no one thought dainty blonde iskra and i were related even though we were i handed iskra the newspaper clipping it featured a photo of three smiling women in leather aviator caps and goggles "'standing in front of a white bomber with long, graceful wings. "'Yesterday,' I said in my most dramatic radio announcer voice. "'My namesake, the remarkable pilot Valentina Grisadupova.' "'You were named after our grandmother,' Iskra interrupted. "'Do you mind?' the remarkable pilot Valentina Grisadubova, the fearless co-pilot Polina Asipienko, and the beautiful and brilliant navigator Marina Raskova departed from Moscow in the sensational new experimental bomber Rodina. That's a good name. Motherland. Who did they bomb? No one, and you know it. They're setting a distance record. 6,000 kilometers non-stop over mountains and swamps and frozen wastelands and every kind of danger. I heard Marina Raskova give a speech once, said Pasha, about how more girls should learn to fly. Her voice sounded like the color indigo. I said, we'll be able to hear her for ourselves if you ever get that radio working. I've just about got it. There. And now, please join me in welcoming Gwen Katz. Hi, Gwen. Thanks so much for agreeing to talk with me today. Uh, thanks for having me. As you note on your website, you are an artist, a game designer, and a quote, retired mad scientist, unquote. Indeed, your site includes an entire gallery of art associated with this book. Um, I'll give the URL at the end int- of the interview, and I encourage listeners to check it out for themselves. But tell us about those earlier stages of your career and what led you to supplement those other interests by writing fiction.
0: Oh, well, I've been writing fiction since day one, um, but I only took it up professionally a few years ago. Um, Yeah, creative interests have always been my main thing and I've always been drawing, I've always been making up stories. Um, I did do science, I did chemistry when I was in high school and college. but I just never ended up taking that up as a career afterwards. I just decided to go back to my passion, I guess.
1: And how did you come to focus on Soviet woman pilots in particular? Um, well, I found out about
0: them from my father-in-law, actually. Uh, we were playing Wings of War, and we were giving names to our the pilots of our planes. And I asked him if there were any female pilots, in, uh, and he told me about the Soviets. And then when I looked that up, I just thought it was a really cool story.
1: So how did you get, I mean, you said you had been writing fiction from day one. Did you go through a process whereby you moved into crafting a novel or publishing a novel, this novel in particular?
0: Um, well, I've been writing novels and novel-like things uh, for a long time. But um, this was definitely the first one that I wrote start to finish that seemed Publishable in quality. Um, so I guess I just, the moment seemed right.
1: Okay. <laughs> Somewhere in my office, together with about 9,000 other books, uh, so many I tried to dig this one out and couldn't find it, there's a copy of Raina Pennington's Wings, Women, and War, Soviet Airwoman in World War II Combat. And that was my introduction to the, the female pilots in World War II Uh, in the Red Army. And so I realized, even when I was starting to read it, that there were many historical characters in your story, in addition to your three leads, whom we'll get to in a minute. Um, One of the most notable is Marina Raskova. Um, I won't ask you why you included her. Her story is is absolutely perfect for fiction. But uh, do give us a hint as to what her story is, uh, both in real life and as you portray it in your novel.
0: Yeah, as I started researching this topic, I very quickly decided that I didn't want to make up side characters and minor characters to be in this book. I really wanted to write about the real people. And um, Marina Deskova is definitely one of the most fascinating because she was one of these early uh, daredevil airwomen of the 1930s, like Amelia Earhart. She uh, was an air navigator, and she participated in this long-distance, Flight from Moscow to the Far East during which they were forced to crash land and she had to bail out of the aircraft and ended up lost in Siberia for several days. And that's really great. You know, things like that are just, they do just write themselves into a story, right?
1: So, what is your impression of her mm-hmm. as a person, a character?
0: Uh, she was actually a really hard. Character to write because when you read uh, other people talking about her, everyone loved her. And it's really hard to write fictional characters that are just universally beloved, right? It's hard to give them complexity. Um, And she seemed to be the cool thing about her was that she was famous and then she used her fame and her influence to give opportunities to other girls and women and to give them a chance to do the things that she had the opportunity to do.
1: Yes, that's very evident in your story, I mean, which is really about the, these units that were founded largely at her insistence, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she actually went to Moscow and proposed to Stalin that they should form these units.
1: So I should also have recognized the name of Lydia Litvyak, um, known as Lilia. Uh, But I admit that I didn't until I read your note at the end, um, probably because I read Pennington's book years ago. Um, Lily also had a really dramatic career as a pilot, and she's also a historical character um, and plays a role in your novel. So what can you tell us about her first as a person and then... um, in in the book, she's much younger than Marina Roscova. I'm assuming she was in real life too, but she's an actual friend of your main character.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh well, Lydia is like the real life maverick, uh, except that she was a you know 21 year old girl. She buzzed the airfield and made her commanders mad at her and all that stuff. And so she's a really fun character to write. But also she's got this feminine side, which is also fun. So she you know did things like uh, put a decorative collar on her flight suit and things like that and got in trouble for that kind of thing, which is fun because we often assume that um, women entering these male-dominated fields have to be kind of, have to kind of assume masculine characteristics. And some of them did, but some of them, like Lilia, were still very girly, Well, even though they were um ace pilots like her.
1: Yes. um, She had quite a history, too. Um, I assume you don't mind mentioning this because it is history, um, and we won't say what happens in your novel um, because, after all, you're the uh, author and you can do what you want, right? Um, But the historical Lilia was uh, shot down over German territory, uh, and, and because of the system that caused her not to be recognized uh, for her service to the Red Army until 1990, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So could you tell her, I mean, this is a sort of background theme in the novel, um, which we'll get to in even more detail later, but can you talk about that element of her career? Or a lack, of, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure career is the right word, but you know what I'm getting at. Well,
0: the Soviet Union had this policy at the time that there were no prisoners of war, only traitors. Everyone was supposed to fight to the death rather than be captured. And one side effect of that was that if you went missing in action, as opposed to being verifiably killed in action, you were assumed to have defected and you were treated as a traitor. And so that's what happened to Lilia. Um, And in fact, her father had also been purged by the Soviets. And so that was a very uh, traumatic you know, thing for her. And so this ends up uh, being discussed in my novel. She talks about this being her greatest fear is not being killed, but going missing. And then her family having to um, be oppressed as the family of a traitor.
1: So um, this is as i say this is part of the background of the the novel is this atmosphere of fear and especially fear of being somehow continued considered an enemy of the people and um, and it particularly affects one of your uh, three leading characters whom we'll talk about in a minute. There are many other historical characters that we could also talk about. Uh, Yevdokia Varshanskaya, uh, Tamara Kazarinova, and her sister Milica. Um, And then there are a lot of individual pilots in um, your heroine's orbit, uh, who I hope we will get to bring into the discussion as we're talking. But the main character is... Uh, Valentina, uh, who is known as Valka, and um, let's talk us a, a little bit about her. How how you developed her, why you decided to focus on her, um, and how she fits in this broader picture of the early stages of the female fighting and bombing units.
0: Yeah. Um- One of my first questions when I was researching this book was, where did all these young female pilots come from? Why were there hundreds of 18-year-old girls who knew how to fly airplanes in the Soviet Union? And so the really interesting thing was that um, aviation was this big extracurricular activity for high schoolers at the time. And it was girls and boys, and some of them learned to fly planes as early as fourteen. And so when the war started, there were all these teenagers and young adults who were extremely experienced pilots. And so that's Volka's backstory. She lives in a a small industrial town, and they have a flying club. They have an old plane, and her hobby is flying the plane. And so when the war breaks out, that's her big chance to get out of her little backwater town and do something with her skills.
1: So – Tell us about her as a personality. How do you see her as a person?
0: Oh, she's she's very much kind of the pilot archetype where she's brash, she doesn't like rules, she doesn't like following authority figures, and um, she just wants to make something of herself and become famous. And so she's been following the adventures of Marina Roscova, she's been hearing all these stories about these incredible things that um, her hero has been doing, and she wants to go to war and have her own stories um, and do things on, on her own that will become, you know, that she'll be famous for. And so the war ends up being a learning experience for her where she learns what's different about imagining that versus actually living
1: it. Yeah, she's kind of a hero worship for Raskova, right? hmm So how did, I mean, uh, there are many ways you could have approached this story. Why did you pick her as, as your main character?
0: Well, you always want to do the pilots, right? They're, um, they're a lot of fun to write. Um, and just, I wanted her to be someone who could be kind of experiencing all this uh, new experiences. So that's why she's from... The Urals, from kind of a out in the middle of nowhere, because I wanted to be able to come to Moscow and meet these people and have it all be happening for her for the first time.
1: Um, so let's. She has a cousin, Iskra, um, and uh, even though Iskra is named after the pre-revolutionary Bolshevik newspaper associated with Lenin. She has a troubled history, um, and we're back now to the, the nature of the Soviet system, in a way. Um, it, and this history soon gets in her way, early in the book, and threatens both her future and Valka's. So tell us about her. What is her background?
0: Well, Iskra's parents were involved in the 1937 Soviet census. This was the first census of the Soviet Union, and it was supposed to show that this country was prosperous and growing. Um, but of course they had these big famines and tons of people had died. So the census, the population ended up being much, much lower than it was supposed to be. And Stalin declared that it was, you know, it was wreckers who were deliberately sabotaging the census and a bunch of people involved got purged. So that's what happened to her parent. And so Iskra, has this conflict in her background where her parents were very loyal Soviets, and she's a very loyal Soviet, and yet they were punished even though they hadn't done anything wrong. And so she's kind of living against the background of that and trying to find a way to justify in her mind that what happened to them was somehow uh, justified.
1: And she does it in part by... Really embracing the very system that has destroyed them basically right it's it's a kind of interesting psychology i mean it's it's not uncommon but it is um it's it's, it's as if she thinks that if she just says in you know says enough loyal phrases um her I guess she would consider it past sins or, you know, except that she's not religious. So it would be something like this, this huge mark against her will somehow be not acknowledged. But she also doesn't really acknowledge what happened. In in other words, she accepts the state's view of what happened to her parents, that that they were, at least initially, that they were, in fact, wreckers.
0: Yeah, yeah, well she's built her whole worldview on this system being a good system and a just system. So as part of that, she somehow has to convince herself that it was okay that her parents were sent to the gulag and that happened for a good reason. Otherwise she, her whole worldview just collapses. And
1: she doesn't really have many options. I mean, you couldn't really be as a dissident in Stalin's Russia not for very long in any case no so um iskra is also uh, a pilot right she w- when she and valka go to, for their interview i guess we could call it audition something like that um they they both go as pilots um, so what happens to her
0: so iskra ends up being assigned as a navigator and um there were so many qualified pilots who applied to be in these regiments and um they had a problem with recruiting enough navigators because everyone wanted to be a pilot and everyone wanted to fly a fighter and become an ace right so um nobody wants the less glamorous role nobody wants to be a mechanic or an armorer or something like that um so iskra is a uh, is a pilot herself, but she ends up uh, serving as a navigator during the war and being uh, Valka's navigator.
1: And Valka, although she wanted to be a fighter pilot too, she ends up in the Night Bomber Regiment, which of the three units is initially the least prestigious. Is Was there a reason why you wanted to make your characters not fighter pilots, not aces?
0: Well, you always want to be telling the underdog story, right? So... There was this day bomber regiment, for instance, that flew these advanced dive bombers that were very high tech. Um, But it's a much more fun story to tell the story of the people flying the obsolete old wooden biplanes um, than it is to tell a story of people who um, have all the best equipment and get all the stuff they need. You know, you get more of the succeeding against the odds.
1: Right. Yes. So tell us a bit about the planes themselves, because we should emphasize that these are not, you know, B-52s that they're that uh, Valka and Iskra are flying in.
0: Yeah, they're flying the uh, Polikarpov PO-2, which at the time was called the Polikarpov U-2, and this was, it was an old biplane made of wood and canvas, extremely obsolete by the time of the war. It Top speed was 100 miles an hour, um, and just a small two-seater biplane, and they were cranking these out because they were very small, very inexpensive to make, and assigning them to any kind of role that they could as bombers, as uh, supply aircraft, as air ambulances, Um, but it was very dangerous to fly. They were flammable. They were slow. They were very easy targets. So they flew at night, and that was the only way they could avoid being immediately shot down, but still, a lot of them were shot down. A lot of them caught fire and pilots were killed that way. Um, it was a very,
1: very dangerous
0: job to have.
1: yeah, my mental image, and this may be unfair, is of Snoopy in the Red bear <laughs> that kind of you know when he's imagining himself that kind of plane a little bit like that, yeah.
0: But of course, that was a high-tech plane in World War One that the Red Baron flew. Well, the various planes that he flew, whereas the same, a similar type of plane by the forties, when they had, you know, aluminum fighters, single-wing fighters, um, was very, very old-fashioned.
1: Right. So, but this is in part how Valka gets into the service, right? Because she can fly a plane like that.
0: Well, it was a common trainer, is what its main purpose was. So lots of uh, these people who learned to fly in the 30s learned to fly on this plane.
1: But what I'm remembering is that she's accepted in part because she knows what to do when the plane isn't doing what it's supposed to do, you know, that she knows how to fix it or to compensate.
0: Yeah, they've got this old old broken-down plane that they fly at her air club. And so she's used to... uh, Situations where everything goes sideways in the air and she has to figure out what to do, or uh, the plane stalls out, or something stops working. And so that would have made her a valuable person to have in a regiment that was flying these very, very uh, obsolete aircrafts under such difficult conditions.
1: So let's move to um, I mentioned you have three leads, and we've talked about two Valka and her cousin. And the third is Pasha. And as People mentioned, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, Pasha has, uh, you can hear that he has elements of synesthesia, which is really interesting. Um, But tell us about him. Uh, He is not flying a plane. Um, What is he doing? And where does the synesthesia come from? I can do this.
0: (laughs) Well, Pasha gets drafted to be a radio operator. And he's only 17 at the time. And I have this theme I like to explore in my stories. It's about men who go to war and are no good at it. Because our usual image of soldiers, like in World War II, are these very brave, very competent uh, soldiers. But the fact is, if you draft everyone between the ages of 17 and 26, every man, you're going to get lots of people who just are no good at it. You're going to get lots of people who don't have the temperament to kill or to be cool under pressure. And um, these people, you know, it's easy to treat them like they're failures or um, like they're not heroes. But in a way, they're even more heroic because they had to endure under these um, circumstances that they're so, so ill suited for.
1: I think that's a really interesting observation. I mean, especially given the casualty levels that they had in the Soviet Union um, immediately following the invasion in June 1941 because it was totally unexpected. And then, you know, continuing through Stalingrad, yeah. um, They had to. I mean, they were pulling in every um, backwater peasant that they could find. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, but Pasha actually does have skills. They're just not military skills, particularly.
0: He does, yeah. He's good with electronics, which is why he ends up being a radio operator. And he's uh, musical, but that's the kind of skill that doesn't get valued very much when you're on the front.
1: Right, yeah. Um. In fact, he sees sounds. That's, that's the... Um the synesthesia. And is that something you have experience with? A lot of creative people do, although I don't particularly. But I know other writers who do. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I do, although not the version that uh, Pasha has. I'm a colored graphene, so I see letters and numbers as different mm-hmm. colors. Um When you're writing in English, well, I suppose it's true in a lot of languages, there's a problem that our visual vocabulary is so much richer than our vocabulary for any other sense. And so it's a problem if you want to write a character like Kasha, who's more acoustically attuned, is there just aren't that many words to describe sound. So uh, synesthesia was an interesting way for me to kind of commandeer the visual vocabulary and use it to describe the sounds he's hearing.
1: Ah, yeah. I like that. And the thing is that the colors also have emotional resonance, which I, I mean, I don't know, but that communicates then in a way that it's hard to do if you're just talking about sounds.
0: Right. Yeah. When you're just talking about a sound, you can say it's a loud sound and that's not very evocative. evocative. Um, it's much more evocative to say, you know, it's a red sound that just immediately brings up way more senses in your mind of what kind of sound it was and what, it, what it's supposed to make you feel.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, one of the women in my writing group has a version of synesthesia, and I'm, we were just discussing a character's name, and she said, oh, well, it's th- I like that one because it's purple and sparkly. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly who my character is. She's purple and sparkly. <laughs> um So as we've mentioned, um, you don't pull your punches in terms of the many injustices of the Soviet system. We've talked about uh, what happened to Lilia, what happened to Iskra and her parents, um, or at least to her parents. We haven't talked about how it affected her personally. Um, But uh, there is another thread running through the novel, which is the partisan movement, um, including, um, I won't go into specifics because it's fairly far into the book, but attacks on the partisans by the Red Army, even though they're all supposed to be fighting on the same side. And um, there, you also tell the story of Zoya Kosmodemyanskaya, um, which I know because I'm a Russian historian, but I think probably most Americans don't. So could you tell us who she was and how she fits into your novel?
0: Well, Zoya... Uh, served during the Battle of Moscow, and this was when the Germans were right at the gates of Moscow. They were very close to capturing the city. Nobody knew that they wouldn't capture the city at the time, of course. And uh, Zoya was part of a small group of partisans, mixed-gender group, that were sent behind enemy lines to sabotage the Germans. And this was, of course, astonishingly dangerous work And they did things like cutting phone lines or setting explosives. Um, But she was uh, captured Well, she was uh, burning a German stable. She was captured and tortured and executed by the Germans. Um, And one of the reasons I wanted to include her was um, I have these female pilots, and it's, it's very easy for a single unit like the Night Witches to be treated like they're very special and unique. You know, like there was this one thing that women did once that was really cool. And I wanted to make it clear that, especially in the Soviet Union at the time, women were everywhere. They were doing everything. So I wanted to show that women were not just in this one air unit. They were all over the place, all over the army. They were partisans. They were tank drivers. They were machine gunners. They were snipers, you name it.
1: And she's also um, hooked into the story in fictional terms because another thing that happened as a result of all this killing and the area that um, Valka is stationed in, I mean, there was just enormous destruction um, from the war um, caused by both sides, is that many, many children were orphaned. And one of your characters who ends up with Pasha's regiment is... This little boy named Peter, who it turns out um, has witnessed the execution of Zoya Kozma-Demyanskaya.
0: Yeah, well, um, here in the United States, we haven't had a war on our mainland soil in 150 years, and so we have a sense of war being this thing you go off and do somewhere else. So we aren't really that cognizant of the effects of having a war on your own soil. Um, and one of those effects is all these children who ended up uh, as orphans and were just wandering around, um, and a lot of them got adopted by um, military units. And that's what happens to, um, to this kid. A Pasha's unit ends up uh, picking him up and adopting him, and it turns out he has this information about um, the execution of Zoya.
1: He's a useful face, I think, um, for the horrors of war in the sense that anyone can relate to him. I don't remember offhand how old he is, and maybe he doesn't even know. Is he eight, nine, something like that? Seven. Okay. That was my first guess, actually, and then I thought, no, he couldn't.
0: (laughs) I don't remember if I actually say on the page exactly how old he is. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. So let's switch... Uh, oh, th- something else that appears in Pasha's side of the story is the element of religion, which was actually m- more tolerated during the war um, than it had been previously. But one of uh, the men in Pasha's unit um, turns out to be um, orthodox so and serious about it. Um, so if for people who aren't, imagine, you know, who aren't familiar with the Soviet system, it's probably hard to imagine what um, that means that this young man goes to war with a religious book in his possession. Um, but what, what is his role in this story?
0: Well, this is a YA book, and religion almost never gets mentioned in YA books. I don't really know why, because it's very important part of a lot of people's lives at that age. It's an age when a lot of people are rethinking their religion. It's they've grown up with what their parents taught them, and they're beginning to embrace their own religious identity. So I think it's a very important aspect to include. And certainly in a place like the Soviet Union, um, religion was very divisive. And so It was officially, um, they were trying to suppress it. So it was, all the seminaries had been closed. You couldn't become a priest anymore. And that's that's this soldier's role is he wanted to be a priest, but couldn't because it was no longer allowed. So all he's got is this book of religious music that he carries around with him.
1: One of the really charming elements of the book is that as you mentioned with Lilia, um, despite being fired at pilots and bombardiers and navigators, uh, Aviation Group 122 is also a group of young women who bond over hair and gossip and boys and magazines and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us something about the rest of the group, the the ones we haven't mentioned, Jigli and Zsiniushka and other members uh, who befriend Valko or in some cases don't befriend her?
0: Oh, yeah. I actually... Um... While I was editing this book, you know, I kept being told that I had to reduce the supporting cast. I had to cut them down because there were just too many. Because as I was reading about these girls, um, they were just so endearing. And I loved them so much that I just wanted to include them all. And I had to pare it down to my very favorites, which was really difficult. Um, Yeah, so uh, Lilia, we already talked about. She becomes a fighter ace. And then we have um, uh, Tanya and Vera, who are this inseparable pair of these uh, expert pilot navigator pair. They do all the dangerous missions, they always want to fly together. And there's a, uh, yeah, uh, the one I call Zhenichka uh, is Eugenia uh, Rudneva, who I really love. She was an astronomy student at the university who got recruited to become a. Um, a navigator and she's um, She's pretty nerdy, which I like You know, there's all these uh, We have her diaries and They're just adorable And she's Entries about like getting into arguments about Math with um, the other Navigators and things like that um, So these were just really fun Cool people to include um, uh, Ilyushina, The uh, chief engineer I really liked, um, she was one of the women who was already in the army at the time and um, didn't want to be in the women's unit, right? She didn't want to be pigeonholed as like the female engineer, but they told her that the only way she could get to the front, she could either stay in a factory or she could go to the front, but only with the women's unit. So she's a little bit miffed about that. And, and so there was just a wide range of experiences and a wide range of really interesting people who I got to include.
1: And that brings me nicely in, uh, to the other element of it, which is, you know, right after the revolution, I think many people know that you know there was an introduction of radical equality between men and women and uh, marriage was abolished or made strictly a civil ceremony and children were all supposed to be raised in daycare centers and you know the whole thing right but by 1936 that had changed and the um the men in the army and the air force aren't entirely supportive of this element of including women pilots talk talk about their reaction and it, there is a range because there is there's a male commander actually of these women's units but how, what how how were the how, how were the female pilots received
0: yeah it did vary a lot because the official Soviet line was still that the sexes were equal and they were officially allowed to do all the same things which is how these women managed to get into these positions um there was a lot of resistance against them of course but the official law was on their side so if they were persistent enough um there was actually no legal reason to deny them so um we do see a lot of men who are resentful of that and um especially the commanders, like the division commanders at the beginning of the war, nobody wants this female unit. They're assumed they're going to be useless. Um, but then eventually they become uh, so competent and so successful that by the end of the war uh, they're being specially requested and everybody wants them as part of their unit. And So it was really a, a successful chance where the women got to prove themselves against Uh, the doubts of the male military brass.
1: Well, that's a good story, too. (laughs) And the Nazis weren't terribly happy about having these women uh, bombing them day and night. I mean, obviously, they don't want to be bombed by anybody, but it seemed to be a particular thing that they were being bombed by women.
0: Right. Well, it's really interesting when you look at the roles of women in the different countries that were involved in the war, because in Germany... Their role for women was uh, kinder, kirkha, kirkha. German is terrible. Um, But children, kitchen, church. So they had this very, very regressive, even for the 40s, view of women and very restrictive view of what they were allowed to do. And so it was very foreign to them and distasteful to be fighting against women and especially to be... Losing against women because they officially, you know, thought that women were not capable of that,
1: which is how the bombers earned their nickname of the Night Witches, right? <laughs> I guess if you can't do anything else, you just slander people.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a time-honored strategy, right? right? Um, yeah, so these were these were harassment bombers. So these tiny little planes, they did negligible amounts of actual damage. So their main role was just to decrease morale. It was to keep the men from ever getting to sleep and constantly had to get out of bed and go take shelter from being bombed and were constantly afraid. And that was their main purpose. And so making them be women... And having to get out of your bed in the middle of the night and go run and take shelter from a bunch of 18-year-old girls was just an extra layer of humiliation for them. Right.
1: Yes, I can see that. So as we've noted, a great deal of history wends its way into your novel in a very entertaining way, I want to emphasize, um, and very naturally. Uh, Were there places where you found yourself having to deviate from the historical record for the sake of your story?
0: A few tiny places. I wanted to keep it as close to history as possible, but the fact that I wanted to include real people and real units meant that there was occasionally a place where I wanted somebody to be present when they weren't, or I wanted something to happen During the window of the time frame of this story, but it actually happened later. And so occasionally I had to move stuff around. For instance, um, I have the Night Witches being present at Operation Mars at this big offensive, which they technically weren't actually present for. They were um, down in the Caucasus at the time. Different PO2 units did serve there. So hopefully I think it does give an honest impression of what the history was like um, and all the major events of the war certainly are accurate, but yeah, you shouldn't use it as a, as a history book because there are occasional small things that I moved around and uh, changed dates and changed locations.
1: And that includes the Kazarinova sisters, right?
0: Yes. Yes. They were present at, um, at aviation group 122 they were present when these units were being trained but then um, Samara went off to uh command the fighters and uh Milica was assigned to the day bombers and so the um night bombers they were um never involved with but i really wanted to include them because they're just um controversial figures there's this whole uh, controversy with the uh, fighter unit that um, Tamara was deliberately trying to make them fail and possibly deliberately sending pilots into dangerous battles to be killed and all this stuff. We have no way of confirming that, but it's a, it's a rumor. And so I thought she made a really fun counterpoint of um, as opposed to Marina Vascova who was an experienced pilot who was using her position to help other girls get into her field Um, we have the cousins of novas who um, were experienced pilots who kind of resented the fact that other girls were getting into their field they felt like we had to work to even be allowed to serve and we put in all this hard work and now these girls are just getting invited like who who invited them why should they get to have it so easy compared
1: to us. Yeah, they're fun. I mean, antagonists are always fun, let's face it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are there any other favorite elements or characters from your novel that you'd like to mention that we haven't gotten to?
0: Um, oh, gosh, I think we've actually covered a, a lot of the stuff, that, um, a lot of the important
1: stuff. Okay, then let's just move on. Um, what would you like readers to take mm-hmm. away from Among the Red Stars?
0: Well, certainly, especially since I'm writing this book for a young audience, although I hope all ages will enjoy it, um, Certainly, the female empowerment aspect is important. i um, yeah, I love telling people whenever this question comes up of should women be allowed to serve in combat, which has come up you know as recently as a few years ago. And it's a controversial thing, somehow people think that they won't be able to do it or there'll be some something terrible will happen. And I just love pointing out, no, they already did and they were very, very successful. So that's part of it. And the other aspect is this book is about heroism and what it means to be a hero and whether there really is such a thing as a hero or whether it's just a myth we make up because we need it. And so I'd like people to think about that and think about, you know, when you have a hero, a celebrity or someone that you really, really Respect, um, thinking about why we do that and whether these people really are what we imagine they
1: are. That's very interesting. That uh, that sounds like a great thing for people to take away. Uh, are you? What about you? Are you working on something else now?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm working on another World War II book now, um, and this one's uh, set in America and it's about uh, lesbians in the Women's Army Corps. So this is the American experience of allowing women into the army for the first time. And it's extremely different than the Soviet experience. Um, It was much more divisive and the women, they weren't allowed to fight and they were serving stateside and full of controversy and full of plagued with all kinds of problems because they were serving in a country that just fundamentally did not really want them to be there. Um, Whether you're looking at just popular opinion or the politicians or the military brass, um, everyone was very suspicious of them and no one was really supportive of them. And that was doubly so if you were a um, LGBT person, because at the time that was punishable by court-martial. So we had all these um, women who saw the army as a great opportunity to kind of explore their identity and be with other women and wear a uniform and do this non-traditional, more male-coded role. But at the same time, at any moment, they could be uh, purged and get a dishonorable discharge and be publicly humiliated. And so it was a very um, interesting time.
1: It sounds like it. So let me know when you finish. I'd love to talk with you again. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm CP Leslie, and today I've been talking with Gwen Katz about her debut novel Among the Red Stars. You can find out more about her at ww.gwenckatz, that's all one word.com. Like us on Facebook, search for MB Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at NewBooksHistfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can also find out more about me, my website, and my books at blog.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and the general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about new books in historical fiction.